invite you to pray with me. Now, O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. In my second year of ministry, I was no longer an associate pastor. I was the lead pastor of a startup church in a very rapidly growing community. Lots of young families, people fighting for their way in the world, working their, their little uh, knuckles to the bone. Just a lot of energy and a lot of uh, motion, a lot of whirlwind. There was a guy in that church who was part of the usher crew, and he was on a couple of committees, and he was, his, his wife was involved in the children's ministry, and they were just really, really active. And then he got laid off. He was a salesman, and he got laid off. Uh, and I didn't see him for three weeks. At the end of three weeks, he got another job. And there he was in church again with his three-piece suit and his company car and uh, talking to everybody about how he was going to get to be taking people to baseball games and other stuff as part of his sales duties. He was working for an international trucking company. And he was back to his old self again, just shaking hands and being the life of the party in that church. And I, I think it's the first time that I felt like I was not sure if I was going to be up to the task of being a pastor in the body of Christ. I've been serving this church for the better part of a year, and I had yet to communicate that we don't need to be presentable to come here. That in the hardest moments, the darkest moments, this is the place to be. That when we are shrouded in shame or we are feeling like we are less than ourselves, this is not the time to separate ourselves from the body of Christ. This is the time to be enmeshed in the body of Christ more deeply. I had not been able to communicate that. I'm still not sure I'm able to communicate that effectively. God has called me to proclaim and defend the kingdom of God and to sustain the weary with God's word. But what if the weary won't come? How can we sustain? And what if my proclamation of God's kingdom falls upon deaf ears in the world? There is no more pronounced picture of God's agenda for the world than the Beatitudes. And too many preachers for too long have preached these as imperatives. You should be meek. You should mourn more often. On the count of three, let's all suffer a little bit. Let's try to, to, let's try to somehow make ourselves a little less than. We're not doing enough for God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Beatitudes are the benediction. God sent his son Jesus to pronounce the blessing at the beginning of the sermon, not the end. This is the part where we're supposed to rejoice because God has a word for the world. And too many pastors even myself from time to time, have tried to bend these beatitudes 
through a thou shalt kind of message. But what I want you to hear today is this is not a thou shalt message. This is a you already are message. You are blessed. You are a people called blessed by God. The, the Beatitudes are not a set of instructions for us to follow. They are a declaration of God's agenda for the world. And they have come to root very deeply in my own life my closest colleague in this annual conference was a man that I served alongside uh, when I was in the Whittier area. He was in a neighboring church. Actually, he was in several different churches during his appointment time, but they were all within proximity. And he knew how much I care for the notion of Christians not only coming on Sunday morning and celebrating the gospel, but getting into class meetings like the early Methodists and working things out together, working things out in smaller settings where they can talk to one another and work through the issues. And my, the AIM team of your church will tell you I'm constantly hammering on them, be a part of a class meeting and, and involve others, right, AIM team? Are you? Yeah, so I was saying to this colleague, many years ago, if I'm going to ask my people to do this, I need to do this too. Would you like to be a part of it? Many, many pastors say, I don't have time for that, but he said, I'll make time. And for over 12 years, we met every Thursday afternoon with whatever other pastors could be there. But Bob was always there. And we would have our time of asking, where have you been this week? And what are you going to do next week? And how can we pray for each other? And we would always end with communion. If you're pastors together, you can have communion. What a blessing. And Bob, right about the time that Senator Kennedy was diagnosed with brain cancer, was diagnosed with the exact same disease. And the life expectancy we knew was two to five years. And he had the initial surgery. He had a couple more years where he and his family could put things in order and they could take the cruise they've always wanted to take and all of that. And then we began to see the deterioration. And I was in a personal retreat when I got a call from his family that said, he is, um, he's progressing very rapidly now and can you make it back? And so I ended my personal retreat and drove halfway across the desert I said, I will see you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning at your house. And I walked in the door right at 8 o'clock. They said he hasn't been responsive for 10 or 12 hours, but he, uh, he's in the back room. And I walked back there, and he was stretched out on the bed. And I said, Bob, I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm going to pray with you now, and I'm going to read the Scriptures with you. And I turned to Matthew 5, and I began to read. Now, Bob had spent most of his life working with a community organizing uh, uh, organization here in Orange County, working for peace and justice in the world. And when I read blessed, when I read blessed are the peacemakers, he rattled once, and when I said they shall be children of God, he went to be with God. It's a privilege when a friend allows you to be at his home going. Um, a privilege indeed. But that image of peacemaking is really where I want to settle today. 
We live in a world, my friends, where there are two different things at play. And I, I, I want you in these brief moments to just to depart from here today understanding the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. For there is a difference. Peacekeeping is um, the word that we assign to people who are, because of evil in the world, meant to stand in the way of the innocents and prevent harm from coming to them. But peace keep, peacekeeping involves often the use or the threat of force, creating deterrence so that those who promote evil in the world will have a second thought for the moment. This is peacekeeping. Peacemaking requires an entirely different skill set. Peacemaking requires diplomacy. Peacemaking requires patience. Peacemaking requires that we listen as much as we speak, that we request rather than demand, that we observe rather than judge that we forgive rather than punish. Peacemaking requires seeing the world through the eyes and the lens of God's eyes and promoting God's agenda for the world. Peacemaking requires lifting up those who are marginal. Peacemaking requires engaging our enemies as if they were also human. And working to overcome the differences between us, not by banishing people from our presence, but finding the way to wash their feet as Jesus washed ours. Peacemaking is a lifelong journey. And the church, the church, my friend and brother Bob, he wore a shirt all his life at least the, all the life that I knew of him, he wore, he wore a shirt that said, Jesus, save me. And on the back it said, from your followers. This is a, often a pastoral sentiment in our world, but it's not just a pastoral sentiment. Those who are self-professed atheists or, or judges of the church, those on the outside looking in, they're often confused by the way we treat each other. Bertrand Russell once wrote, the problem with the church is that it has disciples in it. Mark Twain once wrote, if Jesus were here today, the last thing he would be is a Christian. The last thing he would be is a Christian? <laughs> the world is watching the church and they see how we often treat each other and they, they, they recoil and they say, well, this isn't, this isn't really what they are proclaiming. And so we as a church need to come together. We need to come together around an agenda of peacemaking and not just peacekeeping. And Alfred Poirier, that great uh, author and peacemaker in his own right, in talking about these things, says that there are two dangers which face the church. There are those who are peace breakers the bullies who walk into meetings and threaten to leave if he don't get his way or she doesn't get it the way she wants, those who storm and rant and stomp all over the place, the peace breakers, they're easy to identify. We often see them coming, and we go the other direction. 
But Alfred Poyer says the, the far more dangerous thing to the church are the peace fakers. The ones who believe that we're supposed to be nice to each other in church and so they smile and they gently kind of nod their head and they pat on the back and then when you turn away they go, did you see the way they were dressed today? Or they, or they have something else to say and they, they talk behind the backs and they promote the gossip and they do the other things. This is, this is every bit as dangerous to the life of a church because you can be a peace faker and keep the peace in our public assembly and never make peace in the body of Christ. Peacekeeping will only get you so far. Peacemaking requires that we become children of God, doing God's work in the world. Peacekeeping is born of fear, fear of what I might lose, fear of what might be taken from me, fear of all the things that could be lost. But rather than counting the things that could be lost, peacemaking only takes account of the one thing we have been given, which was everything that God had. I give you everything. I give you my only begotten son. I give you his life. I give you his purpose. I give you his death. I give you his blamelessness. And I give you the power of his resurrection. And all I ask of you, my friends, is everything. Everything. Uh, that was the deal we made in our baptism. Do you remember? We talk about the dawning light of Christ in the world. And as that light is going to spread, it's going to spread because you and I step into its magnificent glory. And we become light. And we'll talk about how to do that in the weeks to come. But for today, I have no thou shalt for you. Only a proclamation that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you. And I don't care if you weep and are mourning. I don't care if you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I don't care if every time you tell someone you are a Christian, people snicker behind your back and they laugh at you. I don't care if you're struggling in any in any way in this world, I want you to know that you are already blessed by God. And these things do not disqualify you from God's presence. And in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, the time for you to be in the midst of us is when the struggles are most pronounced and when the shadows lengthen the longest. Come here in those moments and we will sit with you together and we'll find the blessing of God. For blessed we are, and blessed we shall be, this day and forevermore. Amen.